I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems in the form of energy. diving more deeply into the self-sustaining leadership model and practice created by Jack Russell and Glenda Otto. I'll also be talking with Jody Marquis and Deb Pearson, both of whom are self-sustaining leadership facilitators who will tell their own personal life-changing stories with the self-sustaining leadership work. Jody is up in Newport, Derby area, and Deb is down in New Orleans area. Do you want to begin by giving us a, a little overview of what self-sustaining leadership is with the awareness that you went into it quite a bit in our last yeah. interview? Yeah. So just to lay the groundwork into which we will bring Jody and Deb into the conversation and then dive into the actual practice of the skills and the personal experiences that that you've all had with that, you know, the ahas and the benefits and how it's changed the way you approach communication and the way you approach your own lives and the way you relate to people in the world and the way you relate to anything in life. Yep. All right. In the first interview, you're right. We uh, we covered a lot of ground in what self-sustaining leadership is. 
And just as a reminder, the definition of the self-sustaining leadership is the growing capacity and moral courage to do the right thing for the right people at the right time based on increased self-knowing. And the key parts of that are capacity, which means skills, increasing our skill and the variety of our skills. It also includes increased conscious awareness, awareness of both of what is influencing and motivating our behavior and our thoughts, and then moral courage. And I define courage as when fear collides with love and love wins, and then self-knowing. And self-knowing is an ongoing happening of what is it that is influencing and motivating my behavior. So I came up with that definition, created my own definition in, in 1997. And then in, in around 2000, I call it cosmic humor because I was hired to teach the first leadership courses for early child care professionals. And I didn't realize that 99% of the people involved in early child care were and are women. And I had never taught all women. And I went through a very sharp emotional learning curve within the first month of that experience that really led to a dramatic change within myself in that I was able to really access my emotions and also to be vulnerable. And I was accepted by these women. And it was awesome. And I greatly grew and, and thrived just being with them, uh, learning from them. Much of the classes, the, the topics of the classes tended to be all skills-based, based on a combination of leadership and management skills. And then in 2004, I met Jody, And I think at this point, and hopefully she'll share how what I was teaching began to evolve into what we have it today. So I think I'm going to turn it over to Jody. Hi, thank you for having me here. And I love talking about self-sustainer leadership. My name is Jody Marquis. I live in Derby, Vermont, and I have been working with the self-sustaining leadership model since 2004. There is so much to tell in the story of how this unfolded for me, um, but there's four key things that I want to share today in this interview. And the first is that when the self-sustaining leadership model came into my life, I was journeying my way out of a very adverse situation. I was a mom who found myself on welfare. I was living in poverty. I had two children. We had experienced a lot of violence in our lives, and I was healing addiction and substance, both with bulimia and the use of substances. I journeyed into the world of early care and education as a volunteer, as a mom on welfare. And it was during my time as a volunteer and while I was in recovery that I realized that people like me really benefited from having support systems. 
And it was the first time in my life that I became super passionate about something. And that gave me an internal fire to want to move forward with my life, mostly because I wanted to be a better mom to my children than the experiences that I had as a young child. Fast forward a few years, I hadn't met Jack yet. So now I'm in the childcare. I opened my own program after three years of studying child development. And in 2004, when I met Jack, I was living in what was called the tornado of life because I knew that I personally loved what I was doing, but I had no clue how to lead others or manage a business. And so I joined Jack's leadership class through a referral that came to me and my life changed forever. The reason my life changed forever is because I realized during the journey with Jack in that first class that everything that was happening in my life that I didn't want was a direct response of the way I was choosing to live and to behave. And I wasn't doing it on purpose. I just didn't have the information, the tools or the skills to create what it was that I was seeing in my mind as a vision for children and their families, which was to grow a comprehensive program to serve at a very deep level. I had a huge passion for bridging the gap between survivorship for families and being able to thrive. So that's the second key point. And then the third was that when I was done with the class, I had learned so much and I had changed so much and so many things in my life were changing that I hired Jack to come and work with my company. And at that time, it was called Creative Minds Children's Center. And he never left. We realized that year that he came that when people make the decision to come together with a common goal, vision, and everybody takes full responsibility for their own choices and behavior, and they embrace the team as a collective, that magic can happen. And over the next 14 years, we developed a nationally accredited center that served 121 children. We had a very comprehensive approach to helping families that included five community partnerships, a bus, meals, and a curriculum that honored the authentic needs of kids. And what that means to me is that each child is an individual. And it was important to us that children were seen and heard and supported for who they were and not through the lens of a cookie cutter model of the adults thinking that we knew what was best. So the next point that I want to make is that as I began to hire people, we realized as a company that every single human being coming into our program was coming in through the lens of lack and through the lens of old programming, meaning that they wanted to work with kids in ways that we no longer supported. And they wanted to be part of a team in ways that we no longer wanted to support. And so leadership became mandatory for people because we knew that if they didn't have the same information that they couldn't thrive the way we were. And so, you know, early care and education was a journey for me. I learned everything I needed to know as a mom, as an entrepreneur. I learned so much about being an advocate, politics, and the leadership skills are what helped me and my team go through multiple transitions of funding cuts, 
working with the hardest families you could imagine working with and sustaining a high quality comprehensive program. In 2015, unfortunately, we closed. Chance for Change Institute, the company I own now, emerged. This is my last key point. It emerged in my center because we were trying to solve the problem. How do we find the training that adults need to truly bring love to their work with children? And what I learned, and this is the the biggest lesson, it's like the life lesson that I give to everyone is you cannot give to anybody or anything something that you haven't experienced in yourself. And so self-sustaining leadership became the foundation to all of the curriculums that my program teaches. And with the closing of my center, I began to work with other programs in Vermont and After three years of that, I grew internationally and now work with predominantly women who are working in professions where they're struggling with survival because they too have not been given the gift of really honing in on these skills and applying them in such a way that creates inner peace, fulfillment. And for me, it's synergy within teams so that you can collectively grow purpose and change the world. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. And I will pause and see if there's a question or a move on. That's a wonderful story. I would love to hear what it was about Jack that you found to work so well and fit into this this new evolving or maybe not yet evolved view of where you wanted to grow into at the time. And then take us into the leadership skills that you learned and why they are so effective in terms of being able to create something that that you feel so passionate about and so good about. Sure. Well, okay, I'm gonna take a deep breath in because this is this is a lot of story. I'm gonna start with this. Jack and I are opposites. And there was actually nothing about Jack when I first met him that I connected with in the sense of him as a person, but it was more of my own deep curiosity to want to understand the model. And the information that Jack brought was information I hadn't experienced. And Jack's style was very much around accountability. And I think that my temperament really needed that at that time. So I stayed with Jack because it was a really hard class and he wouldn't let any of us quit. And he was really, really good at putting just enough on the plate and then letting you almost fall off the cliff and then grabbing you by the shirt, pulling you back up and saying, you can do this. And to me, that's masterful artistry because so many times in my life, I've been pushed off the cliff and Jack has a way of knowing, you know, how to put the pressure in your space and then hold you accountable, but also be kind and caring when he needs to be. The truth is though, when we brought Jack's model to our center, the reason that we evolved was because we kept coming back to the question, what do people really need? 
Jack's original model was based on his military experience. It was very logical. There was a lot of management tools and I wanted to know more about love. I wanted to know more about the fear to love stuff. And so over the seven, 10 years that we were together, we continued to just notice what was working, where were we getting stuck? And we continued to evolve the model. And that included Glenda. And so I would say by 2013, we had a pretty solid foundation of skills and frameworks. And Glenda, with her mastery, was able to put things into articulated documents where you could really see with clarity what it looked like and you could put it into practice. The number one skill for me, you know, thinking about this as a whole thing is, and I say this to everyone, is to know the art of observing yourself without placing judgment. And what I mean by that is so many of us make choices and then we beat up on ourselves because it didn't go well or we made a mistake. For me, I was a perfectionist. I grew up in a home where you did it right and you did it until it was right. And there wasn't really any softness about that. So as an adult, I really put a lot of pressure on myself. Learning how to hear my thoughts, learning how to look at a situation without putting any judgment on it, just looking at it for what it is, and then asking the reflective question, where am I getting stuck? And the self-knowing part of the program gives you what you need to know about yourself, your values, your beliefs, your temperament, even your spiritual practices, so that you have something to reflect on. And then you can begin to make a conscious decision about how to move forward versus a reactive decision. So much of my life was about reacting to my environment. And with leadership, I'm able to reflect on my life and choose my actions and know that every decision I make has an outcome. And with consciousness, you can be aware of those outcomes and you can own and claim your choices versus being stuck in a vortex of life is happening to me and I don't have any choices. So how did this work help you to do that? Well, first of all, I would say that it's a personal choice to to shift into change. So any individual would have to ask themselves, am I willing? Am I willing to look at me? Am I willing to make adjustments within myself in order to have a better life? And for me, I would say the question is always, am I coming at my day from connection or disconnection? And the number one thing that I would say foundationally is this leadership program and the way that it's structured and presented is really about falling in love with yourself in such a way that you have the confidence and the courage to want to connect with other people, want to be a better person in the world, and want to engage in being the change that the world needs. For me, it's the most important place for that starts in the family. So for me, I was able to 
get off welfare. I was able to walk myself through addictions. I have healed trauma. I have bridged my relationships with my children. I've grown a successful company. I've fixed relationships with my parents. And observing without judgment is the step one. And then boundaries and learning how to set loving goals. And then look at those goals from a place of continuously improving and not having to be perfect. So it sounds like this. In the next two weeks, I say yes to being kinder with myself in the way that I talk to me. The three actions that I'm going to put into place to help myself to do that are, and I would list those actions. And then every day I would just say, what went well with your goal today? And where did you get stuck? And those two questions always bring up what you need to work on. It also helps you to celebrate where you're doing well. And from there, it might be, I have to set boundaries. Okay, well, boundaries is a skill. So now I can use the same process to go, all right, where in your life do you need to be better with setting boundaries? Where are you doing well? Where are you getting stuck? And you can begin to move yourself through all of the different things that are required to love and lead yourself and others in the world. That was beautiful. And this is a continuing process throughout our lives. Yes. And I still use it. And now it's just automatic because this is, you know, a lifestyle. I explain to people like it's not something you do and then you've done it and you're done. It's, it's, I say yes to embracing a lifestyle of love conscious leadership and continuously improving, meeting myself where I am, knowing what's going well with that and knowing where, where do I want to go to and then walking your way there, but enjoying the journey along the way, because I think that so many leadership programs teach people how to do really great things in the world, but often miss the point of living life. Like we're here to make a difference in the world, but we're also here to make that difference for ourselves in our day-to-day living so that we can enjoy our family. And there's so much burnout that's happening, at least in the population I work with, because people are giving at really big levels with their hearts and they're doing a lot and they're sacrificing their well-being to do that. So I want to change that. One of the things that Jody didn't share, she had a policy with her teachers that either they had to grow and change. It was either grow or go. Yeah. And that was courageous because up in her neck of the woods, it was hard to find people who were willing to be teachers. It was very rough, but she held tough to it. And what I witnessed, most of the teachers we're coming out of lives that were very similar to Jody's. They were in an abusive situation. And yeah, I, I would say, Jack, that it was a lot of symptoms of poverty. I, you know, yeah. live in a very poor region. And, and poverty to me is not a problem. It's a bigger symptom that is, you know, linked to addiction and trauma and low education levels and all of those things. And so I think that for me, the leadership program gave me the tools to become motivated to change those parts of my life so that I could be a a role model for my kids and so that I could grow a program that could truly help people. 
And I come to believe that for children, if we could rewrite the education system and we could have more of this in our education system and we focused more on the character of children than the competency of what they know, we would be able to radically change society. And and the result of that was a number of her teachers went on to get associate degrees and bachelor's degrees and changed their lives and the lives of their families. And that was, that was stunning to me. So Jody. Yes. How difficult was it for you to work with these women who were coming out of not only physical life poverty, but the kind of mindset and beliefs about oneself and the relationship to the world that comes with that. How difficult was that to bring them along the same journey that you went through, that you were so self-inspired to do? Wow, that's such a great question. Well, I would say that first and foremost, for me, working with people coming from similar backgrounds gave me an opportunity to heal my own codependency, which to me was very high functioning, you know, learning to give people a process and support, but not taking on their journey and taking on their burdens. And so it really was about finding the right people going back to Jack's definition, doing the right thing for the right people at the right time. Me having the growing capacity, which means, you know, I got better at the skills. Me having moral courage, which means sometimes I had to make really hard decisions and fire people. And then me having greater self-knowing, the more I knew about myself, the better I could adjust to other people. And then eventually I just got really good at knowing what ready looked like for people. And so I had to have screening processes. I had to learn that I can't help everybody. Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But the people that were open and willing, really all they needed was to understand the why behind their what. 97% of our daily choices come from our subconscious programming. And most people don't know that they're creating their life because of the programming that they're coming from. So if you know that about yourself and you have a willingness to change and you're given ways to do that, most people can do a lot for themselves in very short periods of time, but it does take a willingness. And that was the hardest part for me was realizing that so many people in general just live in victim consciousness where they blame and they complain and shame about life, but when given the opportunity to change it, they don't always take it. And this is not a course or a process that people can go through and have any results if they're not willing to to do the work. So that would be what I would say for that. I also think it's important to make this point that I, in my profession, have worked with women like me in the old self, but I've also worked with corporate women who have climbed the success ladder and done very 
successful work and they have very successful lives on the outside and are still dealing with the same limiting beliefs that people who, like myself, were struggling with when I was a mom struggling in poverty. It's just a different physical reality showing up. So I think that it's important to say that because a lot of people hear me talk and they think, oh, well, I don't have that. I don't need, I don't need this because I don't struggle with any of that. We all, if you don't wake up in the morning with a clear purpose and feel happy and fulfilled with your life, then it's likely that there's parts of what we offer that would help with that because this really does help each individual look inward and fall deeply in love with themselves in order to lead their families, their workplaces, and their communities. Thank you. So for people who'll be listening to this, yeah, give me a rough idea of how long it takes to go through this process and to make this kind of a shift in one's life. Well, it's an ongoing process, but I will, I'm going to use my program as the example because self-sustaining leadership is a model and the model is the foundation and different people that teach the model, teach it, they have other ways of incorporating it. So in my program, it's 12 weeks and it includes coaching and it includes a community of people. We come together once a week, we coach once a week. And I'm getting ready this Sunday to do a testimonial video with the group I just finished. And unanimously, the women say, I have more inner peace and fulfillment. I have better relationships with my family. I'm clearer about what I want to do for work in the world. And I'm excited to get started. And I have a system that I can use to continue to embody the qualities of love, the skills of love, and the self-knowing of love, and that that's never going to change. But the depth of knowing and the embodiment of that is going to get deeper and deeper as people continue to practice. So again, you know, the shift can happen in as little as 12 weeks, but we're always evolving. And I transform every time I teach my class. I transform into a better version of myself. So I expect that that will happen until I'm 120 because that's how long I choose to live. <laughs> I'm very impressed with your passion about this and how you have really taken this all to heart and brought it into the world in such an organized and powerful and practical way. That's something that I've never been very good at. I can do it for myself in my own personal life, but when it comes to interfacing with the quote-unquote real world, the world of money and logistics and things like that and mm -hmm. business kind of things, I tend to turn tail and run. <laughs> I hear that. And, you know, I would say that I cannot give credit to the organization of this the self-sustaining leadership model that we are a team for a reason. And that's one of the insights that Jack brings is that we all have strengths and we all have places in our lives where we can have other people who hold us up. And for me, each one of the people here, Jack, Deb, and Glenda, they all bring the parts of themselves that complete me as a whole. And it helps me to be better in the work that I do. I believe it takes teams to move the world forward and that we all bring an individual perspective and uniqueness to that, but that we can't be great 
at everything. And so I'm actually, you know, behind the scenes often appear very disorganized and scattered, but I have the right people and the right tools in my life that I can stay focused on what's important. So Jack teaches that skill in, in the leadership of how to take your day and you know, these are my three priorities and the priorities are always based on those essential highest good goals that you've set, like the clarity of who I am and why am I here? It's just become so easy to say no to the things that are not serving the purpose and yes to the things that are. So I say kudos to Jack, Glenda and Deb for the structure because that holds me together, Tonio, and it gives me what I need to show up for people in an organized fashion. So for people up in your neck of the woods who mm-hmm. who are inspired by this, I'm inspired by listening to you. So I I can't imagine that anybody who who sees any room for growth and you know in their lives and want to move in that direction yeah. towards a love-based relationship with themselves and the world. How can they get in touch with you and find yeah. out more about your work? Well, if they want to know about me individually, then I would say go to my Facebook page, Chance for Change Institute. And, you know, there's a place to sign on to my email list there, chanceforchangevt at gmail.com. But if they want to know more about self-sustaining leadership as a whole and the options of how to access the curriculum through different perspectives, they would go to Jack directly. He's the main point person for the curriculum. And then I am a teacher of that curriculum who has added some things in and that's not what this is about today. So I would say, Jack, and you can help me to know if this is on point, but I would say going through Jack, stating what you're looking for, and then Jack refers out to the best person based on their needs. So before we go to that point, The work that you do, you do it in person in your community. Is that correct? Or do you do do both online? I do both. Yeah. Most of my work is actually online. It's a 12 week online program, but it's very interactive. It's live on Zoom. And most people can find me right on Facebook because I'm always advertising on my page. And I work predominantly with women who are high achieving professionals And they're struggling with survivorship, meaning that they're feeling heavy and they're working really hard and they don't feel like they have time for themselves. And they just really want to have more inner peace and fulfillment doing the work that they're here to do. So I would work predominantly with women. Mm -hmm. And I I, I would, Tonio, I would uh, say that she works with people not only throughout Vermont, but Mm -hmm. Florida. New mm-hmm. York, Massachusetts, so all around. It's not limited to. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm old school. I'm old school. <laughs> so, so I th- I think of community as being in person, where you actually get together, you sit down, and you do this work in person. That's why I was asking about your work up in your neck of the woods because I was thinking along those yeah. lines. But I yeah I, no, and I do I do community projects as well. But for the purposes of growing a business and having a large impact in the world, I choose to have online classes so that people from all over the world can attend. 
And then in my local region, for example, I'm going to be working with a local agency for women who are transitioning out of addiction treatment programs. And they're in that transition. And one of the things that happens in addiction is if you don't have connection, it's easy to go back to old ways. And so I'm going to be doing a project in collaboration with local agencies to serve women. And that will be face-to-face. And then with the program with Vermont that I do, we also, we have what's called hybrid models where we meet two to three times a year in person, but the rest of it's on Zoom. And COVID really changed that for the world. I was completely in person, moved to online in 2019. And then when COVID came, I really had no other way to provide service. So it kind of naturally moved its way there. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I very much enjoyed hearing your story. And yeah, it's very impressive. Um, Deb? <laughs> yes, let me follow that. <laughs> You're your own unique self, so it, it's I am not a competition own. at all. I know, I know. I'm actually one of the women that Jody was talking about, the climbing the corporate ladder, finding my uh, values in being successful financially, It was the kind of the way that I was raised in my family. You know, you got to go to work, you got to work hard, you got to do certain things to be successful. And, you know, I ended up doing what I thought I was supposed to do. I was employed by the U.S. Air Force. I was direct support for four-star general. It was considered a coveted civilian position. I was not in the Air Force. I worked for the Air Force. You would have thought that I should be the happiest person in the world because by all accounts, I'd made it. I had a good salary, uh, good housing, good car, good savings account, good insurance. It all looked really, really good on the outside. But on the inside, I felt hollow, like I was slowly dying, like I had this soul-sucking job. It was difficult to go to. It was like all along the way, as I bumped up in my career, I would constantly have this feeling that something was missing. I'd get another certificate. I'd have a certain temporary happiness, but there would be that, oh, what's missing? Something's missing. I'd get a raise. I'd be like, yay. And then that would be there again, that something was missing. I get a new position, same thing. And then I finally like made it to the top of my career. I don't really know where I could have gone from there. And it hit me again. It's like, what is it? Where's the happiness? It's like I followed the formula. I did everything I was told to do, but something's still missing. And it seems like it was that same something that I'd been looking for for decades. It was this elusive, I'm going to put it in quotes, it that I was missing, but that I could not articulate it. I could feel it, but I couldn't tell anybody what it was. You know, like I said, I'd been told all my life to be successful. And of course, my definition at that time was financial. So I'd achieved that, you know, and it wasn't happening. And all along, I had taken courses, read self-help books, 
joined women's circles, participated in equine assisted therapy. I mean, anything that I thought might help me find the it, because I would read something and go, oh yeah, maybe that's it. And I would join and participate. And as I was learning it, it, it seemed fine for the moment. And then I'd get to a point and I'd be like, ah, something's still missing. And I finally got to the point with my job that I felt like, I know I'm not going to find happiness here. Um, I made some plans. I got certified in coaching and in a couple programs. And I ended up quitting that job. I sold everything I owned except for what fit in my car. And I drove away. And when I drove away, I felt something that I had not felt in a very, very long time. And it was the feeling of freedom. And it was amazing. And every cell in my body did this happy dance. And I knew, I knew, <laughs> I knew I was headed in the right direction. I just didn't know where that was going to end up being. And so after many months, I ended up joining a membership where we ended up meeting live in San Diego, California. And that's where I met Jody. And I heard Jody speak. And there was something in her words that drew me in to want to hear more. And as we ended up speaking, I don't know that we spoke privately, personally, you know, but more quietly, I found out that she taught a course and I was like, this sounds like something that I want. And it turned out that as I was going on my self-help journey, looking for all the things to help fix me. Because, you know, there must have been something wrong with me because nothing was, I don't want to say nothing, but there was so much that wasn't going right for me, at least internally. I ended up taking Jody's course, which is the self-sustaining leadership model. And I realized that, wow, this is the first time in my life that I, the individual, was addressed. I mean, when I did breath work, I learned how to breathe. When I learned yoga, I learned positions. When I learned, you know, a variety of other things, I learned the specifics of that, I'll say, modality or technique, but I didn't learn about myself. As I continued in the course, I think it was the 12 weeks course that Jody was talking about, I just learned more and more about who I am my strengths, my gifts, my talents, my weaknesses, things I might want to improve, things I might not want to improve. I learned that instead of having these constant goals, that there could be frameworks from which to live. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Instead of saying, I want to exercise really hard and, 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 you know, go to the gym five times a week and 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 either get stronger, or lose weight or whatever that end result is, that's a goal. But the framework might be, you know, do appropriate exercise for my age and for what my desire is. And learning the frameworks from which to work and not using other people's ideas of what those words would mean, like what goal they think I should do. You know, my whole life was designed around what other people wanted from me. 
what my parents wanted when I was young, what my teachers wanted when I went to school, what, you know, more teachers and professors wanted in college, what my bosses wanted at the jobs. It was like, where was what I wanted? Where was what I needed? None of that was ever addressed for me. And I found that self-sustaining leadership addressed all of that for me. And finding myself in a position of recognizing the individual that I am being unique and special, and I mean special in the same sense and unique in the same sense, like our fingerprints and signatures and snowflakes or whatever, like I'm an, I'm just a very unique and special person. And once I was able to see that and claim that and go, oh, well, that's just how I am. Oh, okay. I see. Well, those are my needs and those are my values. And that's are much of my beliefs. I began to like myself and it wasn't just like, as I liked myself, it was like, I became more and more aware of if I can do that and figure that out, what else is there? And as we went through the program and I started learning things like, you mean I can shift from where I am, that this is not a stagnant place that I must stay until someone else tells me I can move to this other place and that I can make choices based on what I now know, but I make them from a place of love and from the highest good of not just myself, but those that are involved. I began to get more and more excited because I began to see that this is this is the it that I was missing, this self-awareness of what's possible when I have the right information. And in the class, I learned tools. I learned a lot of tools. And what I realized was, and what I found out, and I don't know if it's spoken this particular way, but when you practice these tools, they become skills. And if you practice the skills long enough, you can master them. I mean, to the point where there's some of them that I don't think about them as, oh, I need to do that thing because it's kind of like a, I've, I, I call it inner mastery. And it's like a skill, like tying your shoelace. Yeah. Sometimes you pay attention to it and sometimes you just do it because you don't need to pay attention to it. As I did that, I realized that there are probably 85% of people in our country that have not had the skills, the tools, the frameworks for them to be able to do what I ended up getting to, which was loving myself. And I can remember the day about like six weeks in, I think, maybe seven. And I just remember being in awe because I made a statement and I I said, blah, 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 because I love myself. And I went, when did I start loving myself? Because it was just this, this, soft, gentle, step-by-step-by-step thing that happened where enough of it, this, this, this momentum built to a point where my heart began exploding for myself. I didn't have the need, want, desire to have a business and you know, do like Jody didn't pr- provide these opportunities and that all that, that was never really my thing. I really came from a very, very selfish place. The business I did own 
it was an art business, was teaching people to paint. And I was trying to do it in the way that I was taught from, you know, when I went to school and I ended up doing the, I don't know if, how well this is known, but it's the sip and paint. A lot of people will drink alcohol or coffee or whatever and paint during like a two hour thing. And I started doing that, but I was an imposter for myself. And because I was creating and painting and doing what I thought other people And there it is again, what other people wanted me to do. Because again, everything geared towards financial, I need to be successful. And I did not do really well in that. I mean, I did well enough to a point, but then there came a point where it was like, I needed to make more money and I did not know how. And I did not know how to extend myself out into the community any further than I already was. What did the others want? And I couldn't answer it. And so I needed to do something different. And that's when I ended up moving into that corporate world, working for other people and moving myself forward until I got to the point where I was at the top of the career. And I'm like, okay, I'm still in the same place. I'm doing everything everybody else wants me to do. What about me? So what's happened since then is the what about me, I realized is we all need to start there. We all need to discover What about me? Who am I? What is it that makes me who I am? And how do I move forward from there? Which is loving ourselves. But how do you love yourself? We're not taught this. Not, I mean, maybe some people are, or maybe it's modeled in their families. But for the most part, we don't know how to love ourselves. But now with self-sustaining leadership, which that is the model, but I have to say what I'm finding is The work takes place in the intentional consciousness and that once you go through the program, it's like your eyes are opened up to a place that you've never seen before. You get to see things about yourself you never knew. You get to experience a growth inside of yourself that you never thought possible. It is for me the highest form of success. I no longer look at the word success equaling financial, because I'm now successful in relationships, especially with myself. I'm successful in making connections. I'm successful in a business that I've created that I'm teaching how to self-love and people are resonating with this. And I don't think that I've ever had a job, a position anything where I have felt so unbelievably heartfelt fulfilled as when I teach this material and I hear the women, because I mostly teach women, I hear the women discover that they have this power too, and it's within them. And it's huge. I think Jody mentioned be the change in the world. To me, we don't know how to be the change in the world. But with SSL, you learn about yourself. You learn how to change. Now you can love and lead yourself. Now you can love and lead others confidently and successfully in your family, organizations, teams, because you've gone through it. You know it. You get it. And now you can help everybody else that you're in leadership skills with connection with to begin to open up and see. So it's this beautiful ripple effect. Like I see myself as the stone that hit the water and the ripples go out from there. 
And the more I teach, the more I connect, the more I share the work, the bigger the ripples get. And it's just such a beautiful process. So I that think was, I'm kind of done. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So Jack and Glenda, this is um, your project for people out there who are listening. Where would you suggest people begin in terms of finding out more about this work and, and how they can get involved in it? Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Tonio. We talked about this among ourselves. And what we would suggest is that people just get a hold of me. And then I can pass along their information to Jody and or Depp. And they can email me at jackrussellbt at gmail.com. Or they can give me a call at 802-229-1908. And also your email address is jackrussellvt, V as in Vermont. Yeah, thank you. So that's jackrussellvt at gmail.com. Correct, yeah. yeah. So from listening to Deb and Jody describe their experience of this work, I have learned so much more about this work. And I read your workbook, but what I just heard from Deb and Jody really revealed so much more to me about it. Yeah, I'm in awe. I'm in awe listening to them. What I heard, and I think it's true, it's true for me, is that it's a journey and it's skill-based. We aren't taught these skills in our families or in our education system, unfortunately. And to the degree that we, and Deb said it eloquently, we practice and we get to a point where it's just second nature to us. And But it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's a journey of community, of being together, of connection. You know, the, the book, the workbook, recently someone shared with me, they said, the skills are very simple, the way that they're presented. It's simple. It's easy. And then they said that when they went back to read it again, they said, it's profound. Mm-hmm. And it's elegant. And Glenda and I both have experienced this. You know, we, we wrote it you know, together and, and others have helped. But I go back to it and I see things in it that I never saw before. You know, we wrote it. It was inspired by Beyond Us writing of this. And what's most important is actually practicing it, making it a part of our lives. That's that's the key. I mean, you can read something and understand it intellectually and dive deeper into it and understand it and get new insights about it. But until you actually apply it and literally embody it in your own life, no matter how interesting and inspiring it might be, it'll still be a separate thing from us. And the key, what I heard in what Deb and Jody said was that it had become a core part of their lives that just comes naturally now. 
Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I learned in my own life, there was a period before my, my late wife passed on, of a period of three years that I had a, a fatigue issue and the medical world couldn't find any cause of it. And I would do a workshop, for instance, and it would take me a couple of days to recover from it. And before that, I was a type A. You know, if I set a goal, that nothing could get in my way of getting that goal achieved. But when I was going through this, I learned to let go of that. You know, I was a, a jogger. I would do two, four miles. I had trouble sometimes going 100 feet down the driveway. And I learned to really listen and to love myself through it and to have tremendous compassion, forgiveness for myself and to really listen to my body and to who I am. And I learned, you know, it goes back to, you know, how does a mouse eat an apple? One little nibble at a time. And Jody and, and Deb both alluded to it and saying, it's being gentle and loving and just taking one little step at a time. And I think the other thing that we've learned, I've learned is we have a community of learning. We have a community of practice. I'm always learning from them. I'm in awe of them. And so it, it's a community of sharing and living. And that community, that sense of community that comes out of this work is so critical considering the culture that we're living in, which literally moves and pushes us in the exact opposite direction on a continual moment-by-moment -moment basis. I think of people who are on social media or or listen to the news or, you know, are just getting bombarded by our media. It's 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 a huge challenge. Well it's how we're taught, that we're taught to be separate from each other. You know, I, I say that self-sustaining leadership is a quantum leadership model. And the quantum specifically says we're entangled. We are connected. We are all connected in the web of life. So whenever we do anything, and this is what we're taught too often, and that is that we're separate. And that comes out in the ways that you're describing it and multitude of others. And it's pathological. It's a dis-ease. It's not normal. <laughs> you know, it's not the way the universe operates. And so this is the beginning to say, hey, I, I have the power. And it's the power of love that I was born with. And the world tried to say, no, you don't have it. And Deb and Jody are living examples of they claimed it, and it's it's there. Tonio, I was wondering if you would like for your audience to have something, like if I could share something with them that they can begin practicing immediately, just to uh, see what it feels like. Absolutely. Please. Okay. Yes. So in the beginning of my class, the day one, we I ask and invite everyone to go on a what we call a self-love adventure. And the self-love adventure is we take a quality of love, which Jack's come up with a ton of them, but we chose four. And the four specific ones, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail in just a moment, but the four specific ones are compassion, and that's compassion for yourself, because for me, it's a self-love course. Forgiveness, but it's forgiveness 
to yourself, and I'll go over that in a minute, patience, patience with yourself, and gratitude, being grateful for yourself. And so I'm going to use a real simple little example, and then I'm going to bounce around with these four. We usually ask people, choose one, just choose one and practice it. Because just like Jack said, how do you eat an apple one bite at a time? If you try practicing four, or I don't know if Jack came up to like 120 or something, but if you practice too many, it's overwhelming. So pick one, get good at that. You move on, right? Doesn't mean you can't add to it, but you begin. So let's say that someone says, I'm always late for work and I'm trying to figure out how to not be so late for work. Well, one of the problems is I can never find my keys in the morning. So my new goal is I'm going to put the keys, my keys to my car in a bowl by the front door, right? So that's what they're going to do. That's going to make it easier for them. They won't be looking for them in the morning. So the next morning they get up, they get ready to go to work and they get to the bowl and the keys aren't there. Many of us either go, ah, forget it. It'll never work. And we shut down or we start berating ourselves. God, you're so stupid. You were supposed to do this thing. What's wrong with you? And we hear those voices in our heads. So with the self-love adventure, it's to begin to listen to your self-talk and hear how you're speaking to yourself and make some choices. So let's say we decided to practice patience. If we're practicing patience, we may say something like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. Wait, 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 wait. I don't want to say that. How do I practice patience in this moment? Um, okay. I'm starting a new thing. I'm not practiced at it. I'm going to have to get used to it. I'm going to try again tonight and, and see if I can get it tonight. And let's say you go to the next day. You forgot to do it again. You can practice patience again, but you may want to go to forgiveness and say, okay, I'm going to forgive myself for screwing up again and know that I'm going to continue to practice this till I get it. And then you go the next day. You may or may not have gotten it. Maybe you have compassion for yourself. You say, good Lord, I've had so much on my mind. Maybe I need to do this a little differently. Maybe before I come inside and run around the house and then try to figure it out in the evening, maybe as I walk in the door, I'll put the keys there. Yeah, maybe I'll try that. So we try something different. The gratitude part comes in because most people have been trained and taught and beaten over the head with having gratitude for others. I know for everything in my life, it's always been about others. <laughs> so the selfish part kicked in. It's like, what about me? But in this case, the gratitude would be, I put the keys in the bowl. I go to leave the house and the keys are there. And I can go, you know what? I am grateful to myself for sticking it out. I'm really grateful that I chose to do this one little bitty thing to make my day tomorrow better. And that's how we can practice our self-love adventure. You can pick one, but if another one sounds better and it would be appropriate for you to use forgiveness or, or, or patience instead of compassion, you go for it. But it's learning and helping yourself do two things. One, well, how am I speaking to myself? So I'm listening to my self-talk. Two, how can I talk to myself in a more kind, caring, and loving way? So we call it the self-love adventure. And I invite anybody listening to try it out because it's pretty awesome. Mm, that's beautiful. 
Thank you so much for that. That's mm -hmm. exactly the kind of thing I most hope for in these kind of interviews is, is practical approaches that people can start to use right away to give them a, at least a taste of what's possible. So Jody, would you like to share something that you share with your people? I can do a very quick activity with you. And this addresses limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are the thoughts that show up in our lives that bring us to a need to use what Deb was sharing. And so what I usually say to people is close your eyes and take a deep breath into the belly and just ask yourself this question. What is it that I want more of in my life? Just pick one thing that you want more of. Once you have that in your mind, then ask the question, why do I believe that I cannot have more of what I just said I want? Just start telling the story as if you're sharing it with a friend. And the story that you just told, if you were to write it out on paper and look at it, it probably says something like, I don't have time. I don't have enough energy. I'm not smart enough. I have too much to do. Other people need me more. And all of those little phrases within your story are what are actually your limiting beliefs. And they're triggered from the subconscious brain and they drive our choices. So alluding from what Deb was saying, being able to hear the story that we're putting on the why we can't helps us to become aware. And then in that awareness, you can then begin to shift. And here's the question that I give people. If you were going to have more of what you want, what is the first thing that you would say no to so that you could say yes to the thing that you want? And if you've got all of that in your mind and you can get that figured out, then usually what will unravel from there is the big question, why do you believe you cannot take that action? What is holding you and keeping you stuck from taking that action? And self-sustaining leadership is the program. It's the system for helping you push through those blocks in a loving way and transform your story so that you're working toward a story that you want your life to be and not looking at what's not working for you. That was great. Thank you. I love it. Mm -hmm. I totally love all of this. You're articulating all these things so beautifully. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What, Both of what, you. Thank you. You know, I heard Jody say blocks and I say it too, and we are blocked most of the time. It is the thought processes that are, I'm not sure if it's subconscious or unconscious. I don't want to misuse, but it's not in the conscious. I found that as I went through self-sustaining leadership, those thoughts, those ideas, those beliefs were pulled from the unavailable into the conscious. Mm -hmm. And it being in front of me and seeing it in black and white and being there where I can look at it, I get to decide, do I want to continue moving toward that? And if I do, that's awesome. I need to keep doing the same thing because I'm headed in the right direction. But if I pull something out and I look and I go, oh, I don't want to move toward that. 
what is a one tiny step I can move so that I can shift more toward the thing it is that I do want? That's what Jody's example was about. But it's like that's looking at it from a place of a, a more... I don't know if logical is the right word, but it's like how the brain works, right? We're blocked because it's in the unconscious or in the subconscious and we don't have access to it. But once we can see the, like what Jody said, close your eyes, what is it that you want? You're pulling that into the conscious mind. Then, and only then, can you actually really deal with what it is and figure out where you're going to go from there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. That reminded me of the metaphor of a computer and its operating system, that when we're working with a computer, we don't see the underlying operating system. That's working at an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. And it dictates the outcome of pretty much all the work we do on a computer and what we're capable of, of doing on the computer. And if we're not aware of the limitations of that operating system, we may find ourselves banging our head against the wall in frustration and thinking, well, that's just the way it is. I can't do anything more. I can't do it any better than this. When what you're saying is that if we can bring the programming to the surface so that we can actually see what it is, then we actually have a choice in whether we need to upgrade or update or rewrite, you know, completely rewrite the programming And of course, our entire lives are this long, gradual process of doing just that kind of work. Exactly. Tonio, I love that analogy. I was writing it all down. I'm going to start using it. Yeah, we generally operate and most of us operate by default. All Mm -hmm. of our actions and even the things we say, the way we respond to everything, even though we're we're walking around and we think we're awake and paying attention, we're actually operating from a completely unconscious level almost all the time. And it takes a lot of, you know, deep self-inquiry and patience to, you know, spend that quality time with ourselves to not only discover and fall in love with ourselves, but also to uncover all the things that are lurking under the hood that aren't working for us. I'm going to take that. Uh, uh, can I, let, let me just interrupt for a second and build on that. One of the, the major aha moments that I had, and this builds on that, is I was in a meeting. We've all been in these meetings that go on forever. And What I suddenly realized was that I was hearing fear and love at work. And what I did, I I took that away. And I came to the conclusion that all actions are motivated by either fear or love. And from that, and because of the need and people I was talking with about this, we developed the fear to love spectrum. And so what you brought up about the news and lots of what's going on can be found it's motivated by fear and fear is about reaction separation isolation conflict but once we recognize where we are or someone else is on that spectrum we now have choices 
that we can move, use skills to move towards a more heart-centered connection with people. And so that we're motivated more by love and connection and being able to respond rather than to react. Yeah, it's adding the love software to our operating system. You got it. (laughs) That's awesome. And deleting whatever fear-based stuff doesn't work for us. Obviously, fear has its place, you know, in certain aspects of life. But in our current world, most of the fears that we experience are just unconscious, default, knee-jerk responses to things that we're largely imagining and aren't real at all. Yeah, and we, we can see it right here. You know, it's like... It's those people. As soon as we do those people, those other people, we've separated. And that's fear. We go to town meetings and we say, well, those, that group over there, you know, those people. No, (laughs) that's fear speaking. That's reactive fear. And we experience that on very subtle levels as well that that are not as easy to recognize where we're not necessarily feeling opposed to people, but we're still seeing people as other. As other. And what I have, I'm at a point where I say, as I know we, I know me. And as I know me, I know we. It's it's a we happening, whether it is in the family, whether it is in teams, whether it is in the workplace, whether it is in the community, whether it is with other nationalities or whatever. It's a we and not a me. There's no other in this. Yep. That's the lesson that we all need to learn. And in that process, we're kind of swimming against the stream of the world that we're living in. Although we we have everything we need to be able to do that, within ourselves, as I think Jody and Deb beautifully described in their own lives. Absolutely. And it's a choice. We can allow ourselves to be overwhelmed or we can say, no, you know, I choose not to be overwhelmed. I choose love and love. Again, it's the definition of courage. When fear collides with love, love wins. And That's the key right there. Yeah. And again, going back to Deb and Jody's personal experiences that they described, that is what we can connect with and be inspired by. Theory is is all well and good, but it's people's direct personal experience is what we can connect with. And that is what I am feeling so connected to in this conversation and am feeling so inspired by. And I'm so grateful to you, Jack, for coming up with this and continuing to work on this and sharing it with people and bringing wonderful people into this with you. And I'm so grateful to you, Deb, and Jody for sharing your own personal stories about this, because I think that's what my listeners can really most deeply relate to. Absolutely. And this is Glenda speaking. I know that Jody shared contact information for herself and Jack has shared. Deb, did you share? Oh, um, 
<laughs> I'm more than happy to have people contact me. Just like with Jody, you can find me on Facebook at debbie.pearson.unstoppable. And if there's phone numbers, questions, we all agreed to have people contact Jack. Jack gave his email address and his phone number. And the reason why is we figured if we're giving out two and three and all these different, you know, information, it's just so complicated where if we have one point of contact, Jack's email, Jack's phone number, he can help direct people depending on what their wants or needs are. He'll know exactly who to send them to. So thanks, Glenda. <laughs> but um, yeah. So Jack, give give that information again. Okay. My phone number is 802 229 one nine zero eight. My email is Jack Russell VT. That's J A C K R U S S E L L V T as in Vermont at gmail.com. Great. So I think we have covered, I mean, to me, I feel deeply satisfied by by what I've heard. Do any of you have any final words that you would you would like to share with us? I would just like to say thank you, Tonio, for giving me and this team an opportunity to speak about something that so powerfully changed my life. And I would just say to the world that if you want to live your best life and you're looking for a loving and compassionate way to do that, to say yes to the self-sustaining leadership model and contact Jack and get hooked up with your best instructor and get started. Life is too short to waste one more day. <laughs> yep. Yep. I also well, want to say thank you, Tonio, for inviting us to come here and do this. And to Jack for initially coming up with the materials for Glenda to transform this material into easily understandable, readable, comprehensible ways of reading it and participating with the materials. And Jody, of course, for the work that she's done, which has been amazing. And, you know, we live so much of our lives from a place of fear and discomfort and confusion and feeling lost. And when I found this work, and I know for so many people that have found this work, there's a movement that shifts from within you. And as you discover yourself, you move from fear into a place of love. And it's just the most wonderful place to be. And so I invite people, if they're interested, if it feels right, you'll know, and to go ahead and contact Jack and figure out where to go from there. Thank you so much. Again, that was so beautifully put. And I want to thank you, Glenda, as well. I didn't mean to leave you out. Well, I haven't spoken that much. Everything has been so eloquent in itself. I just didn't need to. Mm -hmm. But thank you, Tony. Thank you so much. So um, thank you all again. Thank you so much. We, uh, we appreciate this opportunity. And, you know, in, in listening to these two wonderful women, I'm in awe. <laughs> it exceeds my wildest expectations. And when I see the lives that it's been transformed, I'm in awe of it. I'm humbled by it. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm just and 
you know, I have to, sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, you're the master of this. And I go, I don't feel that. I'm, I'm on the same journey. I'm learning every day. And it's fun. For the most part, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> there are those moments. There are those moments. <laughs> yep. It was great fun, Tony. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was my pleasure to listen to all of you. Truly. Very yeah. inspiring. And I am very grateful to be able to share this kind of work with my audience. Thank you. Thank you. So until uh, next time, be well. Be you well too. to you. Thanks. Bye, Tonya. Bye-bye. Bye. We've been talking about the self-sustaining leadership work with the creators, Jack Russell and Glenda Otto, and with two of their primary facilitators, Jody Marquis and Deb Pearson.
that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. 